This podcast episode is going to be a little bit more inside baseball on the biohacking biz and a limitless mindset. I'd like to begin with a question that I got actually on longevity, which if you don't know, is I really think the best biohacking forum online. So I got a question from a guy. He said, great content. I stumbled upon your in-depth paracetam review on YouTube and I can tell you are working hard. I went over your old and new videos. However, I noticed some factors that may inhibit the growth of your work. And he goes on to level a couple of pretty fair criticisms at both my website and my multimedia content. And he gives a couple of technical criticisms that are pretty good that are things that I am actually working on. I encourage everyone to look at my newer YouTube videos as opposed to my older ones because I really have gotten quite a bit better at being a video blogger and my articulation skills, my presentation skills have improved quite a bit. However, I have left up my old YouTube videos, my old podcasts, and my old articles for a good reason, which is that they are more useful than they are misleading. I, I have some, some older videos about nootropics and biohacking that honestly, I'm pretty embarrassed of them when I look at them. They're not things that I like to show people when I meet new people and they ask me about what I do. But a lot of those older kind of clunkier videos that I created about biohacking are actually the best videos on the internet or on YouTube about particular exotic molecules that people like to use. And there's there have also been numerous times when, I don't know, I don't want to actually, maybe not numerous times, but there's been a couple of instances where there was a particular supplement, drug, smart drug, nootropic, whatever, and when I googled all the popular blog articles on it, they were being really optimistic and kind of salesy about the molecule, but then when I actually went in and read what the abstracts of the PubMed studies were saying, there was some real downsides that the other bloggers weren't talking about. And I think that we kind of make an assumption in this day and age that if there's bloggers and people out there on the internet talking about something, that there's going to be like a accurate translation from what the scientific community is publishing and saying about things to what is being produced and turned into more digestible format for the layperson. And that isn't always the case. And I've seen at least a couple of times now where my content and maybe some discussions happening on like longevity were the only place that we're putting into 
language that the layperson can really understand the truth about a particular molecule or smart or a biohacking technology. And all the other blogs or articles on the internet that I could find about it were just kind of misleading and salesy. And that's part of the reason why I do leave up some of my old content that is uh, problematic or is that it's that that is poorly produced. Okay, a couple of other pieces of criticism. He said the front page is a bit overwhelming of the website. Try to divide it into sections. A newcomer could sense you are trying to push your content on him. A lot of people like the front page of my website. The reason I set it up with so much information and so many options and like potential directions is I wanted to have, uh, I wanted the homepage of my website to be kind of like a choose your own adventure novel. I'm not sure if you remember these books. I can't seem to find them now. Maybe it's something that the internet put out of business, but there used to be these novels where you would decide what you wanted the protagonist of the novel to do in the story. And so you'd read a chapter and then you would decide where you wanted the hero of the story, what, what decision, should they jump off the cliff or should they go to jail? And then you would uh, jump to another page in the book and the story would go from there. And it was actually it was actually a pretty cool way to read books. And so I want my website to kind of be the same way. And that's why I'm not really following the, the Henry Ford philosophy of giving people two or three options and then being like, you got to pick one of these two or three options. I give them kind of a, a wide array of options. I do try to simplify it on people by creating those MindMeister flowcharts of content and uh, desired effect flowcharts for the nootropics in the nootropics section of the site. So I, I really don't know how I can improve the website um, without... The last thing I want to do is dumb down the website. That would be the, the cardinal sin to commit for me because my... Uh, yeah, my, my audience is just is just so savvy that I I don't want to limit them. It's it's about limitless mindset, so I I can't do anything to limit it. Sorry. Anyways, thanks for your constructive critical feedback. I have been and will probably continue to be biased towards doing research and creating content. When I look at my website, when I look at my to-dos, when I look at my site auditing things that I that run automatically, I have 20 I have 30 to 40 different little things in the web design department or in the uh, in the functionality department that I could improve on at any given time, but my belief is that I can best serve my community, best serve people who are interested in, in biohacking performance by researching as thoroughly as possible and then creating as much content, multimedia content, 
Uh, and that's what I'm going to remain focused on. So my website, in the future, I really hope that I can hire some people that can take care of more of the web design type things. But my time is, I think, going to be just best served going forward, focusing on researching. I actually spend a lot of time writing. And the reason I spend so much time writing is that it forces me to do a lot of metacognition where I am looking at my thoughts, where I am where I am putting my thoughts through a process of distillation. And I will I will write a first draft of something and then I will get a new perspective on some things, go back over that first draft and edit it and I will pull out some some things that were maybe hopefully my my own human biases in there and then that's the content that ends up being the articles the youtube videos and the limitless mindset podcasts the article that is the subject of this podcast is the biohacking industry's looming ethics crisis recently a blogger in the biohacking space Mans Denton of thehackedmind.com was sentenced to eight years in prison for theft of historical Holocaust documents. That's right. Apparently, Mans had worked at the Mazal Holocaust Library in San Antonio, Texas, and he pilfered several thousand documents with intent to sell them to the highest bidder, online. When I first heard this story, I had three quite contrary reactions. The first was disgust at this man for adding insult to injury to an entire people by trying to profit from the theft of such ethnically sensitive documents. Secondly, fascination. A part of me that's probably seen too many heist movies and enjoyed reading the autobiography of a thief who had stolen $30 million in jewelry wonders how it went down. Did he just pack everything up in his backpack? Did he have to sneak in during the dead of night? Was it a one-man job or were there maybe accomplices? And thirdly, Curiosity, what nootropic stack was he on? What inspired him to do this? Is this a case of smart drugs gone bad? And how much did he make off the sale of the documents? Just a week before his sentencing, he was interviewed on one of the voices of the industry, Smart Drug Smarts podcast. I encourage you to listen to his interview. He comes across as a level-headed and articulate normal guy. Well, normal for being a biohacker. Thankfully, the mainstream media's coverage of the story didn't make the connection between Denton's dabbling in the smart drugs industry and his diabolical crime. However, man's crime is an excellent example of how ripe a target our industry is for a highly publicized ethics crisis that destroys the credibility of products that genuinely make people happier and healthier.
Consider the respective reputations of these industries. The pickup artist industry, the closest thing to a sustainable men's personal development movement. Yet, it's constantly demonized by the media and mainstream culture. One of the best-selling books of the past decade hilariously threw the whole industry under the bus. The search engine optimization industry. Ask any small business owner who labors away 60 to 80 hours a week serving customers how they feel about SEO experts. And the adverbs they use will be eerily similar to how hardworking small business owners used to describe snake oil, yellow page, snake oil salesmen and yellow page salesmen. What about the business opportunity industry. It has grown up quite a bit from the scammy little pamphlets that you used to get in the mail promising to show you how to get rich quick. And uh, now you'll find excellent educational programs like Pat Flynn's Smart Passive Income and Internet Business Mastery. This industry has been so unethical for so long that anyone teaching entrepreneurship or real estate investing online is met with great skepticism almost universally. Consider the old maxim that the easiest way to get rich is to claim to teach people how to get rich. The financial services industry is regarded as a morally bankrupt industry. Strict government regulations and watchdog groups exist to police and protect consumers from this industry. And what do these industries have in common? Male-dominated, for one. The entrepreneurs, employees, and customer base are 80 to 95% male, with a lot of younger, single, high energy, and aggressive young men. Geeky. These industries are almost completely dependent upon technology and the internet, just like the entrepreneurs and customers driving them. Everyone comes from computer science or IT backgrounds and spends the majority of their waking lives staring at glaring screens the hacker mindset they all have in common as well. Whether it's data analysis, ninja ad copywriting, specialized knowledge of psychology, a hot new software, a proprietary process, or outsourcing to a digital sweatshop in another, in another country, it's rare that you hear people in these industries say that their strategy for massive success is to work really hard for a really long time, creating valuable products and providing really excellent service to their customers. Spectacular advertising claims. The advertising headlines in these industries frequently straddle hyperbole and puffery, which are advertising statements that no reasonable person would take seriously, like Red Bull, gives you wings. So the SEO experts promise to place you in front of thousands of new potential customers monthly. Stockbrokers pitch a stock at 15 that is going to over 100. 
internet marketing gurus promise you a four-hour work week and a pickup artist on YouTube is going to show you how to meet a girl in the street, make out with her in five minutes, and bring her home to sleep with you in an hour. Obviously, the above attributes describe the burgeoning biohacking industry to an extent. Nootropics are rocket fuel for hubris and ambition of young men who are notorious for failing to empathize with anyone, especially their future selves. The life hacking philosophies and value propositions of biohacking products have yet to make it into the sphere of public thought and awareness. Does the average stressed out, overworked, multitasking person think, wow, I'm really stressed out today and have a ton to do. I should really take some paracetam along with doing 10 minutes of heart rate variability, meditation to get coherent, and maybe finish the day with some dual end back training to better habituate mental compartmentalization. Very unlikely. Even in our fairly health conscious society, more likely they are thinking, wow, I'm really stressed out today and have a ton to do. A mega slice of pizza at lunch will make me feel better and then this evening I will have a beer or two or three while watching Game of Thrones. Maybe I'll pick up a pack of smokes just to get me through the day. Okay, maybe a little bit more optimistically, they'll say, wow, I'm really stressed out today and have a ton of work to do. I will make sure to take my multivitamin and hit the gym extra hard this evening. We in the biohacking industry have a really golden opportunity to solve these peace bulls problems and turn them into loyal repeat customers of biohacking products while at the same time giving them the gifts of happiness, health, and life extension. However, given the spectacular effects of our products, some people find them spectacular. It's not really our position to call them spectacular, but the, I'm, I'm using the word, I'm using the vocabulary that, that, is, that I find commonly in the forums where I hear people describing them in layman's terms. We are just a few well-publicized ethics bad calls away from being labeled conmen and liars and being raked over the coals in the court of public opinion. Numerous mainstream media pieces have already tried to scandalize the widespread phenomenon of college students using cognitive enhancers to improve academic performance. I'm concerned that the first time a potential new consumer hears about biohacking will be in the context of a helpful new product is actually bad style, nightly news, attack piece sandwiched between commercials for soap and shampoo, or that they'll hear about biohacking cleverly demonized to a laugh track on a popular sitcom at 7 p.m. on a Thursday night. What can we do to prevent an ethics crisis that sets the biohacking industry back? 
I would say it's about habituating ethics on a personal basis, balancing narcissism with, uh, with a degree of altruism and humanism, biohacking, willpower, practicing intermittent sobriety, and ethical hedonism along with studying philosophy via passive information consumption. And what can those in the biohacking industry do to minimize moral hazard? First of all, talk about ethics like I'm doing now. I would like to see ethics become more a part of the conversation about biohacking. It may even be good to introduce a pledge or ethical practices doctrine that entrepreneurs in the industry who share these values can sign. Secondly, say no to MLM. While biohacking products and philosophies are fairly well aligned with the way MLM companies work, this is a surefire way to destroy the credibility of our transformational offerings. MLM is not an intrinsically good or bad business model, but if we had to pick one industry with a worst reputation, it would probably be multi-level marketing. Market to and hire women. Women add a caring and preserving energy to organizations. The feminine balances out the masculine. The advantage to the bottom line of hiring women is that they can develop products that can appeal and be more effectively marketed to the fairer sex. Price for your consumers, not your competition. I think one of the biggest sources of unethical behavior in business is price competition. Think of how Brazil waited as long as possible to make slavery illegal because it allowed them to undercut the price of coffee produced by other countries. The problem solved and benefits that nootropics and biohacking products offer the consumer are worth anywhere from hundreds to thousands of dollars monthly. Given the perceived benefit, I encourage my fellow entrepreneurs to price their products sufficiently high enough to avoid the uh, moral quandary of uh, quality of the product and uh, paying the employees, etc. If pricing your product at $50 will make it competitive, I encourage you to price it at $100 instead. The extra profit margin will justify the time and effort it takes to develop a product that is well beyond reproach. Test for purity. The supplements industry is still a wild, wild west where unethical agents can sell a product which contains none of the advertised ingredients and is of dubious quality. Pass the cost of doing third-party analysis onto the consumer who will be thankful for a, a product that is of highest quality and that is legitimate. Personal responsibility. A real easy way to get people to step up their ethical standards is to ask them to personally stand behind what they're selling. 
In this age of Facebook, social media, and instantaneous digital access, if I were to screw one of my customers or clients within about five minutes of Google searching, they could tell my mom about it. They could find my mom and tell her. Granted, my mom is a little famous on her own. So to my fellow entrepreneurs in the industry, I encourage you to treat your respective businesses the way the five good Caesars treated the Roman Empire, as something to be preserved, not as a golden goose for a life of luxury and hedonism. Be Augustus, not Caligula. In the comments of this article, it would be cool to hear how do you think we can preempt and hopefully prevent a moral crisis in the biohacking industry.